The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. Hi, this is Kim Marcellus, Senior Editor at McKnight's Long-Term Care News. In long-term care, few infections are potentially more dangerous than tuberculosis. Failing to detect a TB case among residents could prove deadly, but many long-term care providers are still under-testing or relying on outdated methods to check for TB. Today, I'm joined by infection preventionist Buffy Lloyd Krejci, who you may know as Dr. Buffy. She is the owner of IPC Well and author of the book Broken, which examines systemic infection prevention lapses in nursing homes and their underfunding during COVID. Today, we're going to tap her expertise on TB, both the disease itself, ways to test for it in long-term care especially, and evolving guidance on that testing. Welcome, Buffy. Thanks, Kim, for having me. Good to be here. Well, it's good to have you. And uh, like I said, we need some expertise because there have been some changes uh, in the guidance around this. But let's start at the very beginning. And can you remind us what tuberculosis is and why it's such a threat, again, particularly in, in long-term care settings? Uh, it's a disease we haven't necessarily heard much about in the U.S. in recent years, though there have been a number of worrying outbreaks this year. Yeah, it's really important to kind of circle back around to some of the other infectious diseases that, you know, have been prevalent within our communities, especially within our long-term care communities prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so it's very important to have this conversation. You know, TB or tuberculosis comes from a bacterium called mycobacterium tuberculosis. It's a bacteria that actually spreads when somebody coughs or sneezes, and it is an airborne bacteria. Now, most people are aware of the bacteria that affects the lungs, which is pulmonary, um, the pulmonary TB. However, many folks don't realize that it can also affect the kidneys, the spine, as well as the brain. So within long-term care, it's we'll definitely talk more about this, of how this environment in general is, is a high risk for spreading of infectious and communicable diseases. And within the U.S., there's about 2% of TB cases actually come from residents that are identified within nursing homes. And so it's something that we definitely have to be aware of. And just a few statistics, we know that in 2022, the incidence of TB actually increased slightly from 2021. And of course, that could be due to the fact that many people weren't going in and and receiving um, any type of testing um, due to COVID-19. And also that there's about 13 million people that actually live with latent TB within the U.S. So you can just see that it is something that we need to be focused on. So you touched on a little bit in terms of residents in long-term care facilities. What about the people who work there? Why might they be at higher risk? Well, what's important to note is that, again, this is an infectious disease that spreads by somebody coughing or sneezing. And so it's really important that we treat the latent infection. This will help decrease the risk of spread to other residents as well as healthcare workers. You know, the healthcare workers are always at an inherent risk of any type of infectious disease that may be circulating within the nursing home. Now, I will point out that typically, if if a resident 
actually test positive for active infection, they would not be treated in the nursing home because we don't typically have the mechanisms, the negative air pressure rooms to to appropriately treat um, and keep the environment safe. And so once the active infection is identified, they would actually be treated within the hospital. So that in and of itself helps to decrease the risk to the healthcare workers. However, there is an inherent risk just because of the environment that would put workers at risk as well. And I think because of our worker population, there can be some concerns, particularly in nursing homes that depend a lot on immigrants for their frontline uh, staff. Folks from other countries may have been exposed to tuberculosis more readily in their home countries, correct? Right. Actually, in 2020, 70% of all of the U.S. cases of active TB came from people that lived, uh, that were born outside of the U.S., such as Mexico, the Philippines, um, and Vietnam. And so those are some of the other places that that are higher risk and have higher incidence of TB. So if we have the workers coming from those countries, which we often do to fill in the healthcare workers' staffing shortages, then the risk may be uh, higher as well. And so that will that's why it's important that we follow the testing and screening protocols and really address our individual nursing home as the unique place that it is and the risks involved with it. So let's dig a little bit deeper into those risks. Um, talk about kind of the factors that uh, indicate how dangerous TB could be for a resident versus staff employees. You know, what are the real dangers of, of a case actually becoming active? Well, so, you know, we talk about latent TB, which is the uh, dormant state. So somebody can have latent TB and they're not, they have don't have symptoms and they're not spreading it. And what's important is that we actually treat the latent TB and that, that course of treatment um, is typically around three to four months. And that will help reduce the risk of any type of active spread within your community, within your, within your nursing home, with other residents and with other staff. And for those that are, you know, about 10% of people with TB that have latent TB will actually convert to active infection at some point in their life. So it's really important that we treat it when it's latent. And within the healthcare setting within nursing homes, you know, it's an inherent risk of of, of a challenge within this healthcare setting, given the congregate setting. So um, we know that infectious and communicable diseases can spread more rapidly within a congregate setting, such as nursing homes and other settings, such as prisons or even homeless shelters. And so those are the, the greatest risks for spreading um, TB within those environments. As far as the residents, you know, they're they have comorbidities, um, you know, just the age itself. Many of them are taking other medications to treat other um, conditions they may have, such as diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis or cancer. And just combining that with um, any type of TB can um, increase their risk of harm. Yeah, sounds very worrisome. So obviously, preventing, testing, knowing what you're dealing with, those are major steps. Uh, I think folks, you know, may have a basic understanding of, of testing, but I also know there have been some recent changes to the recommendations on screening. So can you kind of set the ground as to where we are right now in this moment in time as to what people in uh, skilled nursing should be doing to screen? Yeah, you know, this definitely made a lot of changes and I can appreciate it given the research that has taken place. There was a study done in 2015 that demonstrated the 
the importance of the current practices that were being conducted at that time, which were the annual testing and screening. And what the research found was that the healthcare workers, which typically had the annual testing, they were not found to be at any higher risk of risk than the general population. And so I know I just said that you are at higher risk. And, and so this might seem to contradict what I just said, what, what's important to know is the risk of spreading that active infection um, once it is in the facility. But based on this research, it was not identified as any higher risk based. This was for all healthcare personnel. Um, and so what's important to note is, so what changed was instead of that annual testing and screen, or I'm sorry, the um, testing and screening that's done on higher. Um, and then it typically was every year after that. It's no longer, that's no longer the recommendation that they have to be tested or screened every single year. Now that comes with some caveats that you want to take into consideration and that the CDC recommends as well. And that is you want to ensure that, um, you know, there's not been any exposure that you're not, you know, if you're living in a community that may have higher risks or your healthcare workers come from a community that is at higher risk, then of course that may change your practice. And so this is where we have to address the uniqueness of your facility and the risk and uh, that you have within your community that you live in. So can you talk to me about the different testing options? Yeah, so typically uh, people will have the TST skin test. Um, that's very traditional. We've used that for, for a long time, many decades. And um, what it is is the PPD skin test is uh, injected into your skin and to see if there's any type of reaction. And you will go back and have it read between 48 and 72 hours after you've been given that test. Then there's also the IGRA blood test, um, the interferon gamma release assays. And that is a blood test that can actually provide results within eight to 30 hours. You don't have to go back for a second reading. And so those are the two different types of testing. If an individual tests positive, it is recommended to have another test to see what that those results come back. And then if that tests positive again, then to get a chest x-ray after that. The CDC says that both of the tests are okay to have, and so, but there are some circumstances that you may consider one over the other, particularly the, the blood test um, may be considered. So let me start with the skin test with some more detailed questions on that, because that, as my understanding goes, is what is used in probably, I don't know, I'm going to throw a number, but 90% of nursing homes still there. There hasn't been a great migration over to the blood test. But can you talk about some of the challenges or maybe obstacles with using the skin test? Yeah, I mean, and... and Gosh, you know, I would say probably all of healthcare still uses the the TST, you know, in general, I mean, even outpatient, outpatient settings and other healthcare settings as well. It's just uh, one of those things that we've always done. And so we definitely know with the pandemic how our staffing has been greatly challenged and, you know, definitely onboarding staffing and the timeliness of it is very important. And so this can be one factor that may be, may be considered when you're evaluating what type of test to use. The blood test, like I said, you get the results back quicker and it can um, help you onboard that staff that you need much quicker. Um, and so that's one benefit. Another 
consideration is the uh, TST skin test may have a uh, type of false positive if you have had the um, BCG vaccination for tuberculosis. And so if you get a false positive, that may be inaccurate and you may have to go through the different testing protocols um, all to find out that maybe you didn't and have it in the first place. I was just going to ask to clarify that BCG is not widely used in the U.S., Correct. right? It would be mostly international staff that you'd be concerned about there. Yeah, it's definitely uh, not you widely used. It's not recommended, actually, um, for most of the population in the United States. And it the the efficacy of it is really for pulmonary TB is about 50 percent. So actually, it's the, the, the statistics are, are quite ambiguous. They say uh, zero, zero to 80 percent efficacy. So what does oh, that wow. mean? Right. <laughs> um, so those aren't those aren't really great uh, results. And and so just knowing that, um, yeah, we don't have that vaccination. So if you have not lived in another country and you have not received that vaccination, then you, the reaction, the po the false positive wouldn't apply to that individual. And, um, and then others, you know, so you're just really concerned looking at those that have lived in other countries that have had that vaccination. And if they have that um, positive result with the skin test, um, again, it could be due to the vaccination, just some type of reaction to that vaccine. And can you remind me the spacing on the skin test? Because it has to be read within a certain window. And, and I think there are some issues if that window is missed, you have to administer right. it again. What happens then? Yeah, it's 48 to 72 hours that you have to read it. And so, yeah, I mean, that definitely, that means that you would have staff come back two to three days and, you know, that. And so really the blood test is preferred, especially within populations that may not be able to get back in that time frame. And so, you know, that is another positive um, point in the blood test is it's one and done, right? You, you have the blood test and then you'll get the results. So if you have uh, healthcare workers that may not make it back or just, again, you want to expedite that onboarding, then using the blood test would definitely be advantageous. And I guess for those in, in the universe, like all of my children who are needle averse, can I ask you what you know about the actual process? I mean, is it a finger prick? Is it a blood draw? And, you know, how invasive is it for the IGRA? Oh, for the IGRA, it's just a regular blood test. Um, and then for the, the TST, it's, it's subdermal, so it's under the skin. So it's probably a little bit, I mean... I, I either both of them have needles involved, so okay. um, you know, <laughs> you not really avoid, avoidable that way. Okay, good to know. So I wanted to go back. We talked a little bit about the CDC and changing guidance from a couple of years ago, but more recently, I believe it was in March of this year, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force changed its guidelines um, and. I know that those are not as officially binding right. on nursing homes as some other guidance might be, but can you call out any changes? I, I read through it and as a layperson, it was a little confusing to me. So I'm wondering what jumped out at you as new and maybe would have some impact in these long-term care settings. Well, I think the most important consideration is um, that, you know, talking about really the difference between the TST skin test and the blood test and how um, the, you know, 
just the advantages of getting the blood test, uh, the timeliness of it, the results of it, and how the sensitivity and specificity are are higher for the blood test. So meaning that you're going to get more accurate uh, results. You're going to have those true positives and true uh, negatives with that blood test over the TST uh, res- the TST skin test. And so that's those really um, jumped out to me is really some of the biggest changes. And then also really pointing to the research that has been done. And again, the, the CDC recommendations as well as is not testing and screening every year that it's it's just not um, an effective strategy. And um, that is, you know, can definitely um, increase costs that are unnecessary as well for for the healthcare settings. And you may have mentioned this earlier, but we always get questions when we talk about TB about resident screening. So please repeat or remind me for the first time, when a new resident comes in at admission, do I need to screen that person? And if they have a latent case, do I need to continue screening them? Yeah, so they definitely want to be tested when they come in, same as like a new healthcare worker. And then annually, it's uh, the questionnaires. So that's for the, the latent TB is giving them the questionnaires if they have that latent TB. Okay. So it's we're basically screening, you know, we're, we're assessing um, annually uh, for the residents that have that latent TB. And if that questionnaire shows they're low risk, then I'm not testing exactly. them unless they become symptomatic. Right. Mm-hmm. Or unless they have been exposed. So that, that's sure, important. Sure, exposure. Right, exactly. And, and you know, I just want to add with that. So, and I, and I've, I keep kind of going back to this, but you know, like I work with nursing homes all over the country. And first of all, we, we always want to make sure that we're following our local and state regulations because your state may not have changed those recommendations to follow the CDC recommendations. They may still be adhering to the old guidance. And so it's really important for nursing homes to follow what their, um, county and state regulations are. And so I know that many have adopted the new guidance, but some have not. And and then also what's really important is that even if they have adopted those new recommendations, it's it's, I just can't stress enough the importance of assessing the risk within your community. So I was saying I work with facilities, even in the same state that, well, one of them may be closer to the border of one of those higher risk communities. And so their risk is much higher. So they may be doing the questionnaires or testing more frequently. And so you really need to have a plan in place and in your policies and procedures that address the risk that you have within your facility um, for for uh, infection within your community. And I just want to double check the testing at hiring. Mm. Whose rule is that? Is that a CMS requirement or is that CDC? So CDC recommends that. And yes, I do believe it is CMS required as well to have that that TS, at least the TST or the blood test upon hire. So we have to we have to demonstrate that the the um, the healthcare worker is not infectious or you know risk to the community. Okay, and I'm I'm going to build on that and ask you a legal question Uh-oh. that I didn't prepare you for. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> you know, obviously we've had a lot of concerns in the last few years about vaccinations. Yeah. Um, obviously now CMS is moving to do a little bit more with the flu shot and recording who gets that every year in nursing homes. Um, again, just wondering. 
if I am in one of those more high risk areas and I want to go above and beyond the regulations, am I empowered to do that? Or am I taking a risk by requiring my employees to submit to that when needed? Well, so when we're talking about about vaccinations versus screening, that is very different. So we are not giving the staff a vaccine. So this is very different. Um, And so we're screening for an infectious disease. And, you know, given the vulnerability of this population, I tend to lean more towards doing more than doing less because Mm -hmm. it is such a vulnerable community. And so you're, I, I've never been aware of any facility that has gone above and beyond and been penalized for that. And from with, from the regulatory folks that I talk to, they always tell me you can go above and beyond. You just can't do less. And so you could screen your staff and um, more frequently, uh, you're not going to be penalized for it. But if you don't screen them when you need to, then you could be penalized for that. Absolutely. And I think uh, along the lines of, of do more, I think families, if they're aware of these policies, would probably have the same viewpoint sure. you do, that that we want to know that our family members are being protected. Now, now one of the things I just want to say, and I, I didn't bring up, is that it, it is necessary to provide annual education. So even if we don't, if we're not screening or testing every year, we do need to provide education to our staff every year about the risks and what to look for because our healthcare workers, they're on the front lines, they're working with the residents every day. And so if they if they see a resident that has this new onset of a cough and maybe they're losing weight, then you know, we need them to understand maybe some of the risks and signs and symptoms of TB. And so that is really important that we provide that education, maybe in our annual skills fair or um, you know, some anytime you have typically like ongoing education, we just want to make sure we address that as well. I think that's a great point. As I said at the beginning, I know there's been a couple of outbreaks. Um, Some of them were in prisons, which, you know, hard to compare that to a nursing home, except to say they're both congregate settings. Right. Um, And I know of, I believe this is also in Washington state where there's um, an individual who has TB and the government has kind of had to step in and try to get this person treatment and they're refusing it. So as much as we might think of this as an old fashioned concern, it's still very much out there. And and I think your idea of eyes and ears and Mm -hmm. knowing what to look for is, is a critical piece of information. Um, Just as important as any screening test that you can give. Yeah. You know, and many people don't know this and there's a third of the human population is infected with TB globally. Wow. And millions of people die every year from active TB. So this is not an infectious disease that is that is gone. And it, and because we don't necessarily see it on the evening news or we don't see it even in our healthcare settings as much, it's still very much a an infectious disease that we need to work on and and mitigate and mitigate the risks and so again given the vulnerable population of our nursing homes as well as the the workers that come from all over the world um, we definitely need to pay attention and understand the risks and and providing the education as well as 
that we are testing mostly for latent TB. Um, if they have signs or symptoms, that's almost easier, you know, because we see something's wrong. And so sometimes mm -hmm. it's difficult for staff to buy in, like, why am I being tested for this? Or why are we testing the residents for this? Or why are we talking about this? It's, it's that latent TB. It's that, that TB that we can't see. Um, that we don't see signs and symptoms for. And that's really critical to mitigating the risk of TB overall because we, want, we don't want it, it to ever lead to active infection. And so we need, we need to treat it with that latent stage. All right. I think we're going to leave it on that. I really appreciate the insights and expertise you brought to this conversation. A lot for people to consider and, and weigh in on in their own facilities. So Buffy, thank you. Thank you to our listener. And we also just want to say uh, thank you to Kyogen for sponsoring this podcast. For now, this is Kim Marcellus. Have a great day.